Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you for drawing us together as you have today. And I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that, Holy Spirit, you would be the one to teach and lead us into all truth. It is in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. People often think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and vengeance. And at first glance, that really might seem to be true. His righteous character is certainly on display in the lives and events we find there. But there are many other things about him to be found in those age-old stories and the people who lived them. Hebrews 11 describes these Old Testament saints as people who saw and welcomed God's promises from a distance. They only had glimpses of who and what he was. But those glimpses gave them the faith and the strength to love him and follow him. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those Old Testament believers, discovering what they saw afar off about God that transformed their lives. These glimpses of God's grace have the potential to transform us too, if we're willing to learn from them and apply the truths to our own lives. Today, we'll look at what Abraham saw and what he shows us of God's faithfulness and undeserved kindness to us. Abraham, as he was called before God changed his name to Abraham, is a major figure in the Old Testament. We first learn about him in Genesis 12, when God called him to leave his country, his people, and also his father's household to go to a land that he would show him. There in that land, God promised to bless him and make him into a great nation, through whom all families of the earth would be blessed. Today, we fully understand the meaning of that promise because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, eventually came from Abraham's people, and all people everywhere can have a relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus. In John 8:56, Jesus himself said that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So, at some level, Abraham glimpsed that God's promise to him was extraordinary and eternal. We don't know how God had made himself known to Abraham before that call in Genesis 12, but Abraham obviously knew enough to listen and obey, sort of. Though God clearly told him to leave his family behind, Abraham initially took members of his family with him, his father and his orphaned nephew Lot. They followed the river system from the city of Ur to Haran, probably to provide water for their flocks. Though this was not the final destination God had in mind, Abraham and his family settled down in Haran, living there for five years until Abraham's father died. We don't really know why he stopped there. Perhaps there were family issues. Perhaps it was simply that it was a place of good pasture and comfort and they needed a break. But I do think that there is a warning for us here, because it is possible 
even for us, to follow God in a stop and start kind of way. And when we get to a difficult place or even a comfortable place, we might become unwilling to risk anymore. So we stop moving forward with God. But that kind of obedience isn't really the kind of obedience that brings the full blessing God wants for us. When Abraham moved on after his father's death, he still didn't fully comply with the call of God because his nephew Lot stayed with him, a choice that would have some important consequences later. Finally, the group arrived in the place God had chosen for them. The Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 12, 7-8 and announced that the land on which he now stood would be given to him and to his descendants forever. He had finally arrived at the place of blessing. And what did he do? He built an altar to the east of Bethel and worshipped the God whose promise to him had been fulfilled. Abraham knew this God was worthy to be followed and he knew he was worthy of worship. There were a couple of problems, however, if you know the story. The land God gave Abraham wasn't empty. It was filled with pagan, warring Canaanites. Not only that, but it was experiencing famine and so perhaps paying more attention to his circumstances than to his God. Abraham kept on moving. He led his fear of foes and famine drive him further south towards Egypt. When he arrived in Egypt, he kept on making decisions based on his fears. He imagined that Pharaoh would kill him in order to take his beautiful wife Sarah for himself. So Abraham lied, claiming that she was his sister, a deception that ended up with Sarah being taken away from him anyway, right into Pharaoh's harem. We're not specifically told that Pharaoh slept with Abraham's wife, but we're not told that he didn't either. But let me just reiterate, none of this had been God's idea. In his mercy, God clearly intervened, revealed the lie and moved the ruler to quickly send them away with all their possessions and with their flocks. It was surely only by God's grace that they survived. They quickly returned to Bethel and the altar there, back where God's word had been confirmed to them and where the promise of blessing was. To this point, Abraham hadn't necessarily followed the Lord perfectly, had he? There were times he only partly obeyed, putting his own comfort or his own ideas above God's expressed command. He stopped in Haran when he should have kept going, And then he kept going to Egypt when he should have stopped in Canaan. At times he based his decisions on fear rather than on faith. And yet, by the time he returned to Bethel, he had seen enough of God's grace to know that this God he was trying to follow would keep his word in spite of his own stumbles. And I think that we see that in the very next decision that Abraham had to make. Lot was still with him and it was becoming evident that the situation couldn't continue. Genesis 13 tells us that the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great. So Abraham decided to separate from his nephew. In doing that, though, he did something quite remarkable. 
As the older of the two, Abraham had first choice of the land, and yet he allowed Lot to take the best pasture around the exceedingly wicked and sinful towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, while he chose the more arid land towards Jerusalem. Do you see how Abraham was beginning to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting the God who had been faithful to him and making the deliberate choice to take God's path instead of his own? Lot gladly went the way that looked easier, but aligning himself with Sodom cost him greatly in the end. We know that Lot initially prospered in Sodom, as people often do, but it was not to last. Several local kings banded together against the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, plundering both cities and taking Lot and all his possessions captive. One of Lot's servants managed to escape and quickly alerted Abraham to his relative's plight. Despite the fact that Abraham could muster only 318 men to go with him, he put his trust in God and rode out against these kings and their vast armies, freeing Lot with all his people and possessions in the end. As Abraham returned home from the defeat of the kings, he passed through a place known as the King's Valley, where he met a mysterious individual by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine and blessed Abraham in the name of God, and Abraham responded by offering Melchizedek a tithe of everything he had. This was an act of worship on Abraham's part and a recognition that God whom Melchizedek served was really the source of everything he possessed. He knew where his blessings came from and he knew where his trust and fidelity belonged. The king of Sodom, though, also met him in that valley, and he tried to bless Abraham as well by offering him all the goods that he'd recovered. Custom would have allowed Abraham to keep some of the bounty, but doing so would have potentially allied him with the king of Sodom, allowing the king to say that he had made Abraham great. Abraham refused to give God's glory to another. He rejected the king's offer, though doing so put Abraham in a vulnerable position. Immediately after this, though, God confirmed his promise to Abraham in one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 15, God first tells him, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. God promised to be with him and to protect and reward him. He would be everything Abraham would need. To confirm his word, God entered into a solemn and unbreakable covenant with Abraham, promising the now 90-year-old that he himself would father a child, an heir, who would have descendants too numerous to count. And Genesis 5-6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Though Abraham understood God's promise of a son and many descendants was unshakable, he didn't know how that would happen or exactly when. So he and Sarah 
ended up trying to help God out by conceiving a child with their servant girl, Hagar. Many of us wonder why Sarah might have been willing to initiate such a thing. In that culture, there was such shame attached to the inability to bear children. It was common custom for a wife to offer her maidservant to her husband to bear a child for him on her behalf. But this decision to follow the culture rather than wait for God brought a lot of strife to Abraham's family. Strife that has lasted generations ever since, which unfortunately just goes to prove that though we might be forgiven for our poor choices, sometimes we don't get to choose the consequences of our actions. After many more years of waiting, Abraham and Sarah, as they became known, did have a child of their own, a boy by the name of Isaac, whose name meant laughter. Abraham's faith journey with God certainly had its ups and downs over the years. He didn't always make the best choices. He didn't always learn from his mistakes that he'd made in the past. At times, it seemed he struggled to trust the Lord, but he was learning at every step that God's promises depended on God's faithfulness, not on Abraham's understanding. If we flash forward several years to when Isaac was a young man, we see that God tested Abraham's hard-won faith as it had never been tested before. I want to spend time in this story in Genesis 22 because it really sums up all that Abraham had glimpsed of God in his long journey and it has so much to say to us today as well. So look at Genesis 22 verse 1. God appeared to Abraham one day and said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Abraham to hear that? It seems unbelievable, doesn't it, that God, who is entirely good, would ask him to do something like that. Isaac was to die at Abraham's own hand. He was to be a burnt offering to the Lord, one in which nothing was held back from God as a symbol of complete dedication. It's significant that Abraham was told to go to the Mount of Moriah because that mountain would become the site of the future temple in which the people of Israel would worship God. And what was Abraham's response? Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. You see, Abraham didn't tarry. He didn't hesitate, but quickly set out just as God had commanded him. I think it's worth noting, though, that he informed the servants in verse 5 that he and his son would go to worship and then they would both come back to them. You see, it says, we will go to worship and then we will come back to you. 
According to Abraham, both he and Isaac would return, and this is after God clearly told him that Isaac was to die. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Isaac carried the wood on his back up the hill, and though they had no animal, Abraham very clearly promises his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Now, I know that some have thought in the past that he was just being a good father, trying to protect his son from the terrible truth that he was about to die. But that is not what the scripture tells us at all. Hebrews 11 verse 19 reveals that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham thoroughly believed that his descendants would come through Isaac, the son of promise. Because Isaac had no children yet, Abraham reasoned that either his son would not die at all, or God would raise him from the dead. Either way, God's promise would be kept. So what happened as Abraham raised the knife? Genesis 22 verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. God himself did indeed provide a substitute to die in Isaac's place. The one marked for death was set free by the death of another. And Abraham called that place the Lord will provide because God did just that. And Abraham and Isaac both returned to the other young men just as Abraham had promised they would. This is what it means that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He fully entrusted himself, his dreams and his hopes for the future to the one in whom he had believed. Now, I'm sure you've already guessed that this whole event was a foreshadowing of Christ and all that he would one day come to do in that very same place. Like Isaac, Jesus would ascend that very same hill with the wood of the cross on his back. 
Jesus is the substitute sacrifice that the ram pointed to that day. You see, God has done the very thing he asked Abraham to do. God has offered his only son, the one whom he loved, that we might know him and be with him. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses in the world, but its truth is for every one of us. Listen to the love and promise it contains, and why not put your name in there instead of the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We began today by referencing what Hebrews 11.13 says about the heroes of the faith like Abraham. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Abraham saw the fulfillment of God's promises from afar. Without fully understanding, Abraham believed that God is the God who gives life to those who trust in him. He believed that God would provide a sacrifice to die in our place. And in essence, he looked forward in faith to the same cross that we of the New Testament have the privilege of looking back upon. What then can we learn from the glimpses of God's grace that Abraham saw in the distance? We can learn that God keeps his word to us even when we stumble. That when we choose him over the world, he blesses us. And that he himself provides salvation to all those who believe and trust in him. May we, like Abraham, believe these things and trust in Jesus Christ completely. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that Abraham's life was not perfect because that gives us great encouragement for we see how you persevered with him and how your promises did not depend as much on his faithfulness as upon yours. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, that lamb that was offered for us, that uh, the ram on Mount Moriah pointed to that day. Lord, we thank you that the very thing that Abraham was asked to do, you've done. You've offered your only son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Join us next time as we study glimpses of God's grace in the Old Testament. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.